Good morning. Uh, welcome to King Street Community Church Online. Really happy to have you. Uh, we're continuing our summer 2021 Scripture Talk series. And if you've been traveling along with us, you know it's, it's called Flawed Yet Faithful. And this is our Scripture Talk series based on Hebrews 11. And, it, you know, in it, in Hebrews 11, the writer talks about all these different biblical characters and why they're commended for their faith. Uh, so really looking forward to getting to it today because we're going to be talking about a man named Joseph. And this is a very uh, famous biblical character. He's not the same Joseph who is the father of Jesus, the earthly father of Jesus, uh, but he's Joseph from the um, Older Testament. And, you know, before we get into it today, I just want to have a reminder for you that we'll be celebrating communion at the end of the talk. So if you could grab a cracker and something to drink, um, you're welcome to participate along with us. So in Hebrews 11, um, our passage to ponder, uh, we've been doing it um, every week, and it's from verses 39 to 40. And the writer says this, all these people, all the people mentioned before, in Hebrews 11. They all earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. Okay? And that, that passage right there is, is important for every single character, but I think it really holds true for Joseph. And you'll find in Hebrews 11.22, you know, Joseph, he, he, he has this amazing, spectacular life. Yet in Hebrews 11.22, um, the writer of Hebrews doesn't mention many of the spectacular things that happened in his life, but he commends him for a face for this reason. It says, by faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave con instructions concerning the burial of his bones. Okay, we're going to get into that. So what we're going to do today is we're going to take a, a survey of these notable events in, in Joseph's life. And then we're going to look at some similarities between the life of Joseph and the life of Jesus. And then finally, we'll conclude with a couple of reasons um, as to why the writer of Hebrews commends Joseph uh, for being faithful. Right. And so. You know, we're going to get into it. And if you're with us last week, you'll see that Pastor Kristen did just uh, a fantastic job talking about the life of Jacob, you know, also known as Israel. And, and Jacob is, uh, is Joseph's father. And so, you know, you'll, we had a, a, an excellent diagram that Pastor Kristen had uh, put up last week. We'll show it again here. And you'll see that the lineage from Abraham to Jesus, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Abraham and Sarah have Isaac. Um, Isaac and Rebecca have Jacob, and uh, Jacob and Rachel have Joseph. And even though that's the person we're going to talk about today, the lineage of Jesus actually doesn't go through Joseph's line, which some might expect based on his story. It actually goes through the line of Judah and um, through, through to King David and then eventually to Jesus, the earthly line of Jesus. So that's a little background again into the different characters that we'll be talking about today. But as we focus in on Joseph's life, we do start with his, his father. And we start with that particular moment where he is renamed Israel by God. So in Genesis 35, it says, Now that Jacob had returned from Padadanaram, God appeared to him again at Bethel. God blessed him, saying, Your name is Jacob, but you will not be called Jacob any longer. From now on, your name will be Israel, right? Just giving him a whole new identity, as Pastor Christian talked about last week. So God renamed him Israel. And here's an important part that leads into Joseph's story. It says, then God said, I am El Shaddai, 
God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. You will become a great nation, even many nations. It says, kings will be among your descendants. And here's this, and it says, and I will give you the land I once gave to Abraham and Isaac. Yes, I will give it to you and your descendants after you. And we're going to be talking about one of Jacob's descendants in Joseph. So, you know, God says this. He says, kings are going to come from me, Jacob, and the land and the promise that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, your grandfather and your father, that's going to be yours, yours too. You can hold on to that promise as well. And then he says, your descendants will inherit the land that I promised them. Really important for us. And so, you know, at that time, uh, Joseph, he was already born. He was already on the scene. Um, and that was covered in Genesis 30. But, but later in Genesis 35, where we were, we'll find out that Rachel, Joseph's mom, she passes away. And Isaac, um, which is Joseph's grandfather, Jacob's father, he passes away too. So we pick up on the story of Joseph's life in Genesis 37. And, you know, he's 17 at this time. You know, so think about it. He's lost his mom and um, the only, uh, you know, full family member that he has is Benjamin, right? And that's the only one that he has. Benjamin is his brother. So you have to think for Jacob, um, for Joseph's father, he's, uh, you know, he's lost the love of his life in Rachel and he has his two youngest sons um, and they're the only ones left to remind him of, you know, of Rachel and, and the life that he once had. And it's interesting, you have to think, when Jacob gets that promise and his name is changed to Israel and he gets reaffirmed that the promise that was given to his forefathers will be given to him also. Like I think of it and I think, you know, he would have had to have told Joseph that, right? I remember, you know, being, you know, five years old in Jamaica and my dad telling me we're going to move to Canada and we're going to move there soon. And just this, he would explain it to me and my brother and we think, oh, this is very, very cool. I can't wait to get there, right? He had essentially, it was this land that we, this new land that we would call home and that we would love. And, uh, you know, I feel like Jacob is saying the same thing to Joseph. Like, you're going to have this land one day. You're going to live there. You'll call it home. So, we pick up in Joseph's life in 37, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to go through these snippets of his life. And let's read it here in verse 37. We're going to see that there's some family turmoil that is really brewing amongst the family. And it says this, it says, So Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan, right? And that's where his father had lived as a foreigner. That's going to be his homeland eventually. And then it says, This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked as a shepherd. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Billah and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph was born to him in his old age. So there's a, there's a little bit of family turmoil there. So it says, so one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe, a, 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 a coat of many colors. And it says, but his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him, right? They, we know that favoritism and these sort of things, they really just lead to disunity. And, and we're seeing that uh, manifest right here where it says his brothers, they really hated Joseph. They couldn't say a word, a nice word to him. In verse 5, it says, One night, Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he says. He says, 
we were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. And he said, suddenly my bundle stood up and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. We got to pause here. Remember, dreams are sometimes these like divine revelations of, of things that are going to come. And this is exactly the case here. So his brothers, they, they kind of understand this. Like sometimes dreams point to something more. They, they point to something real. And his brothers understand. They, they respond, so you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And verse 8 ends with, and they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Okay, so family turmoil is multiplying here. Joseph, he's a young man, a teenager. He probably didn't communicate the dream and the, that he had in the most appropriate way. Maybe he didn't really have um, the maturity to, to, to communicate it in a way. And, and perhaps he didn't even have to communicate it. He might have just kept that to himself. But nonetheless, this is what he said. And so Joseph's dreams about, you know, maybe reigning over his brothers, them bowing down to him and his, his father and his stepmother bowing down to him as well. But... You know, out of jealousy and hatred, his brothers, what they do is they actually intend to kill him at first. And eventually, though, they settle on just selling him into slavery uh, to avoid any trouble is what they think. So one day, you know, they see Joseph coming down the street and they attack him. They rip off his beautiful coat of many colors. They throw him into this empty cistern and then they sell him in, into slavery to these Ishmaelite or, or Midianite traders. And they sell him for 20 pieces of silver. Remember, Joseph is just about 17 years old. He, he's attacked by his brothers, brutally sold into slavery. The Ishmaelite traders, they send, the, what they then do is they sell Joseph to Potiphar, who is the captain of the guard of Pharaoh, the, the king of Egypt. Right? So they sell him into Potiphar's house. And, uh, you know, Joseph, despite all these circumstances, he actually prospers there. It says the Lord is with him. In Genesis 39, it says this, The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did, as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. All of a sudden, Joseph goes from having the lowliest of positions, really, to having at least some semblance of influence in Potiphar's house, a very influential uh, authority figure in Egypt. But, you know, the, the story goes on, and uh, things change. And, you know, it mentions a story where Potiphar's wife, they, they, she sees Joseph as very beautiful and, and attractive, a handsome guy, and she, um, she tries to entice him into this illicit relationship with her. And Joseph, he says no. He, he, he runs, he avoids temptation. He wants to get out of there. And what happens actually, he's falsely accused of rape by Potiphar's wife. Joseph is then imprisoned. And again, it still says the Lord is with him. You know, Joseph, while he's imprisoned, he meets uh, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker. And, um, you know, these are two very influential positions um, uh, for the king. But they find themselves in jail for different reasons. Because if Pharaoh doesn't like you or he's upset with you, he can put you in jail pretty quickly. But, you know, he, he befriends both of them. And he, he actually has um, another dream about them. And it says that, you know, the baker is going to meet punishment. So he says the cupbearer will be made free. And, you know, these things come to pass. And the cupbearer, um, Joseph actually says to him, you know, just remember me. Remember the fact that I told you that things would work out well for you. Just remember me when you're given your freedom again. The cupbearer says, yes, he will. 
And then a second the cupbearer has left, uh, has left prison and he's in freedom, all of a sudden he forgets all about Joseph. So again, Joseph remains in jail, still going through these things. And then it, it, then it tells a lot about uh, Pharaoh. He's also plagued with dreams and no one in his kingdom is able to tell him what um, these dreams mean. There's only one person. And finally, the cupbearer remembers that there was this man named Joseph who was able to interpret dreams. And Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dreams. And, and it's, it's Pharaoh's dreams really point to the story that there's going to be seven years of plenty of food. And then there will be seven years of famine in Egypt that will follow the seven years of plenty. And Joseph, he counsels Pharaoh on how to prepare. So in, um, in Genesis 41, it says this, Joseph's suggestions were all received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or as wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court and all my people will take orders from you. Pharaoh says, only I sitting on the throne will have a rank higher than yours. Can we believe this here? Joseph's life is just going from one story to the next. It's just, he goes from being sold into slavery and you know, in Potiphar's house, jailed, and now all of a sudden he finds himself second in command of all the land of Egypt. It's amazing. He's only 30 years old when this happens. So everything as, as Joseph had um, dreamed and interpreted in Pharaoh's dreams, um, it came to pass. And Genesis 41 says, then seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had predicted. The famine also struck all the surrounding countries, but throughout Egypt, there was plenty of food. So people in Egypt were able to come to Joseph and he was able to give them grain, give them food because he had planned for it. He had known, he had given Pharaoh wise counsel and he had make, made sure that there was enough food in the years of famine. But the food is actually, or, the, or sorry, the famine rather, is actually across the known world at the time. So people from other countries are coming to Joseph asking for food and he does have enough to sell to them. Now, during the time of plenty, Joseph has two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Um, and so, you know, between the age of 30 and 37, he has two sons. That's another important uh, milestone in his life. But then two years into the famine, Joseph's brothers, they come from Canaan to Egypt to buy grain because they have, um, there's no food available anywhere else. In Genesis 42, it tells us a little bit about that first encounter when Joseph sees them. It says, since Joseph was governor of all of Egypt and in charge of, of selling all the grain to all the people, selling the grain to all the people, it was to him that his brothers came. Imagine that. These same brothers who had sold him into slavery, he sees them for the very first time. And it says this in Genesis 42, 6, when they arrived, they bowed before him with their faces to the ground. Remember Joseph's original dream from his youth? Remember when he was just 17 years old? This is around 22 years later, right? He's, a, he's approaching his 40s. Joseph, he had that dream that his, his brothers would bow down to him, right? And it was a dream of the bundle of grain, right? His brothers actually come from Canaan to Egypt to seek grain because of the famine that's across the globe, the known world. They come to him and they bow down to him because everyone had to ask uh, Joseph for grain, and they had to acknowledge his position of authority. So imagine all the feelings. He sees his brothers. He recognizes them. They don't recognize him. But imagine all the pain, the, the, the sorrow, the anger, 
maybe the vindication that I was right this whole time. I, I had this dream. God had given me this dream, and I knew it was going to come to fruition. Imagine everything he's feeling. You know, so here he is. And Joseph, you know, the story plays out. He, he spends, he's, he's, there's moments where he's just weeping and just seeing them. He's just overcome with like, with sorrow. There's moments where he puts them through these, all these myriad of tests. And I think what he's doing in that time is just trying to see, have they really changed their hearts? Are they, are they better? Have they learned their lessons? He also spends time alone. And I imagine that time he's praying and asking God to respond well. And so he puts them through all these tests. He doesn't reveal who he is. And he says, I won't reveal you who I am. Well, he, he doesn't tell them, but he doesn't reveal who he is until they bring back his youngest brother, Benjamin, from, from their mother, Rachel. And we pick that up in Genesis 45. It says, weeping with joy when he finally, that moment where they did bring back Benjamin. It says, weeping with joy, Joseph, he embraced Benjamin and Benjamin did the same. Then Joseph kissed each of his brothers and wept over them. And after that, they began talking freely with him. It's this beautiful story of Joseph just reconciling with his brothers. He's, he's actually able to look back on the hand of, um, look back on his life and see the hand of God at work in his life. He says, you intend to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives, right? This is a beautiful, beautiful story. That's what it says in Genesis 50. Uh, Joseph, all the hardships he'd gone through, all the great moments, and at the end, he's able to reconcile with his brothers. Joseph, you know, his dad, Jacob, also called Israel, um, he, he eventually dies. That's an important moment in Joseph's life. Joseph's 56 at the time. And then Joseph lives out the rest of his years, and he dies at the age of 110. So it's this great story, and I would commend you. I gave you some of the the highlights there, but you want to read through it uh, from Genesis 37 on through Genesis 50. It's a, it's a great epic story. So let's look quickly now at the, some of the parallels between the life of Jesus and the life of Joseph. Joseph, I, I got these from uh, the Gospel Coalition website, and I'm just going to list through them very quickly. So we'll just see and hear about their similarities. So Jesus and Joseph, right? Joseph lives this unique life, and it actually gives us like this... Um, uh, sometimes called a Christophany, like this little image of Christ to come. So Joseph's life, you know, here, here are the different reasons. There's a, there's a lot of them I'm just going to go through quickly. But here's how he was similar to Jesus. Joseph is the object of his father's special love. You know, Jesus is also the object of his father's special love, right? So this is my beloved son, you know, the son I love very much. And in you, I am well pleased. God, the father speaks over, over Jesus, you know, while he's getting baptized. Jesus and Joseph, they both had promises of divine exaltation, that they'd be raised um, and people would exalt them. They were both mocked by their families. They were both actually sold for pieces of silver. They were both stripped of their robes, right? Uh, Joseph, he was delivered up to the Gentiles, and so was Jesus. Um, Jesus and Joseph were both falsely accused. Uh, they were both also faithful during temptation, um, both Jesus and Joseph were thrown into prison. Both Jesus and Joseph, they stood before rulers, right? Um, both uh, people in authority, they actually acknowledged that these people were unique, right? They both stood before authority and the authority figures would see that there's something different about them. Um, you know, another one, uh, Joseph, he saves his rebellious brothers from death uh, when they realize who he is. And that's what Jesus did with his family. That was, that's what Jesus did with a family of, of human beings across the globe. And, you know, Joseph is exalted 
after and through humiliation, just like Jesus was. Jesus is raised up after going through the humiliating process of the cross. Joseph, he embraces God's purpose, even though it brings him intense physical harm. And that's exactly what Jesus does. Jesus goes to the cross for our lives because that was the Father's purpose for him. And Joseph and Jesus, they're both the instrument of God. Um, they're, they're the instrument that God uses at the hands of the Gentiles to bless all these people. And um, Joseph, he welcomes Gentiles to be part of his family. And of course, Jesus on the cross now welcomes um, everyone in the world to be part of his family. He invites us into that. Uh, Joseph, he gives hungry people bread. And if we remember, Jesus fed the multitudes, right? So Joseph was able to give grain to the nations that were starving. And Jesus, he also gave hungry people bread as he did with the miracle there of feeding the multitudes. And finally, you no know, people must bow their knee before Joseph because of the position he had. And ultimately, we we'll all bow a knee before Jesus, okay? So, so Joseph and Jesus, um, they have remarkably similar lives. And Joseph's extraordinary life is just, um, it's really that. It really is uh, extraordinary in the truest sense, right? So now what we're going to do, we're actually going to transition into looking at the end of Joseph's life. So we're going to finish off with these two points. And, you know, Joseph lives this uh this amazing life, as we said. But the writer of Hebrews highlights a particular situation in his life. And uh, let me remind you again what it says in Hebrews 22, or uh, Hebrews 11, verse 22. It says, By faith Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave uh, instructions concerning the burial of his bones. So why does the writer of Hebrews decide to highlight that? Let's look at that very moment that uh, the writer from Hebrews uh, is, is saying. So this is in Genesis 50. And the important thing here is that we're going to take the takeaway for us is faith recognizes that situations change, but God doesn't. In verse 22, it says this. So Joseph and his brothers and their families continued to live in Egypt. This is after they've been reconciled. Things are great. Joseph lived to the age of 110. He lived to see three generations of descendants of his son Ephraim, and he lived to see the birth of the children of Manasseh, uh, Manasseh's sons Makar, whom he claimed as his own. And in verse 24, Joseph says, Soon I will die, he told his brothers. He said, But God will surely come to help you and lead you out of this land of Egypt. He will bring you back to the land he solemnly promised to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Okay, what, what, what's really happening here? Like, Things are going really well. But, you know, Joseph, he recognized that his life had changed numerous times, right? Joseph went from living at home to living in a foreign land. He went from being at odds with his family to being reconciled with his family. Joseph went from freedom to slavery. He went from slavery to power and influence all in his life. Joseph, he went from prison to the palace, right? Joseph, he went from feast to famine, to feast again. And most importantly, Joseph went from dreams to revelation. He saw the things that the visions God had given him. He saw them come to fruition, a lot of them. Um, but here he is at the end of his life, and he's telling his brothers, listen, life, things change. And you, you can understand this, right? Some of you have seen 
have, have longed for marriage to see that come to fruition. That's great. Some of you have seen your marriages dissolve, right? Being from married to have it dissolve. Maybe that's from the loss of a spouse or through divorce. Some of you have known a time where you had uh, no real financial worries to a time where it's become very, very challenging. Others have known the reverse, right? To see, they can look back to see a time where they could, were very, really struggling and now they have enough to save. And Joseph wants his brothers to understand that situations change, but God doesn't. So here he is, right? And if you look at it, even though I don't think this was a revelation of Joseph, if you, if you just flip the page to actually Exodus 1, it talks about the fact that the situation does change. Although everything at that time, at the end of Joseph's life, everything is going great for them in Egypt. When you flip the page and a number of years have passed in Exodus 1, it says this, it says that Joseph and, his, and all his brothers died, ending that generation. It says, but the Israelites, they continued to grow and multiply and they filled the land of Egypt. And then it says, a new king came along and um, came along in Egypt, came to power, and he knew nothing about what, jo uh, what Joseph had done for the Egyptians. He didn't know anything about uh, Joseph saving the people from famine, saving his, his countrymen and women there. And all that that king could see the Israelites was as a potential threat. So this king decides to persecute them and to put them into slavery to help build up the great cities of Egypt. And, you know, Joseph doesn't know exactly this, but the, you know, the Israelites are actually going to be in bondage in Egypt for the next 400 years. But what Joseph says, Joseph says, listen, I see a time where our people are going to leave Egypt and we're going to go back home. But remember again, Joseph is saying that at the moment when things are going great in Egypt. And he says, no, he speaks about the exodus of Egypt. There's going to be a, come a time where God's going to help us, take us out of this land to go to the land of Egypt. So that does come to pass. And Joseph really wants his brothers to know that, right? He wants his brothers to know that throughout his whole life, God was always with him. No matter what, um, he wanted his brothers to be aware that if things change and they can change very drastically and very dramatically, God is always with you. In Genesis 39, four times it says that. It says the Lord was with Joseph. It says he was with Joseph in Potiphar's house and he was with Joseph in prison. You know, Joseph didn't, um, he, he didn't maybe know this verse, but he knew it instinctively. He says that uh, Numbers 23 says, God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he doesn't change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Uh, Joseph could feel that. And, you know, the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 13 says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? We have to understand, even with all of our changing circumstances, we can trust the constant of God's love. We can trust his mercy, his goodness, and that he has a greater plan for our lives than we can even imagine. So Joseph knows that, you know, life changes very quickly, but he knows to trust the Lord. The other thing he knows, and this is our last point for today, he knows that um, Joseph's faith shows us that the best is yet to come with God. And that's the title of today's message, the best is yet to come. In Genesis 50, again, at the end of um, Joseph's life, it says this, it says, then Joseph made the sons of Israel, these are his brothers, right? These are sons of their father, swear an oath. And he said, when God comes to help you, uh, when God comes to help you and lead you back, you must take my bones with you. So Joseph died at the age of 110. The Egyptians embalmed him and his body was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Again, like we know that Joseph recognizes that situations change very quickly, but why does he actually really want his family to even leave Egypt um, at this time, right? You got to think, he had wealth and status. Everything is going great there. His family was reconciled. 
And even though he knew, yes, situation has changed, he also knows that the good that they were experiencing, in the end, it didn't really matter because they were still in exile. They weren't at home yet. They had everything in Egypt, special treatment. They had each other. But Joseph, he still wanted to go back to the promised land. This was the, you know, the geographical area of Canaan that was promised um, from, uh, from God to Abraham, Isaac, reconfirmed to Joseph's father, Jacob, and to his descendants. So he wants to go back there. He knows it's time to leave Egypt very soon. So Joseph, at the end of his days, he speaks about the exodus of the Israelites, the fact that they will, God will help them to leave Egypt, even though things are going great. And you got to think, it does take a lot of faith to talk about something that hasn't happened yet, right? And we're not talking about our own hubris or anything, but it, speak, it talks a lot of faith to speak about the promises of God, right? And so Joseph says, there's one day going to come, we're going to leave Egypt. And Joseph, he doesn't even want his bones to be in Egypt. He says, what's the point of living in a giant tomb in Egypt and maybe having a statue made of you if it's not my homeland. It's not where God wants me to be. He says, when I get resurrected, when I get resurrected and I'm brought back to life again, he's like, I already want my bones to be in the promised land, the land that God promised to my people. So, you know, Joseph, he doesn't care about some of the, you know, earthly treasures that he could have, right? He, he's just more concerned with a blessing, the eternal blessing that God had for him. So, you know, I, I want us to remind us this, that, you know, the, for the Christ follower, the promised land is where Jesus is. And, and remember what it says in, in Hebrews 11. It says that, you know, he, he spoke about the Exodus and he gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. So it's, it's amazing that in the end, Joseph, he isn't considered faithful. He isn't, sorry, he isn't considered faithful uh, for his righteous living. He's not considered faithful for actually avoiding temptation like that he did with uh, Potiphar's wife. Uh, Joseph, he's not even remembered for being faithful for forgiving his brothers and not punishing them when he had all the power to do so. Joseph, he's not even remembered uh, for being faithful for trusting God when he was in jail. He, he, he's not even remembered. They didn't even highlight, the writer of Hebrews didn't highlight that particular moment. Um, the writer of Hebrews didn't say that he's counted as faithful for wisely managing all the circumstances that were um, given to him in Egypt when he was in that position of authority. In the end, it says that Joseph is accounted as faithful simply because he believed God's promise. You know, Jesus said this. He said, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. That's a promise from God. That's a promise from Jesus. Jesus said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. If you believe in God, believe in me too. Jesus also said, he says, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, uh, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? Jesus says, I, I wouldn't like to. I I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. That's a promise of God. So Joseph, he knew at the end of his life, even if things are good, and things might be good for many of us who are here, he knew that God had actually promised a better life for us, a better land for his people, a better permanent home. He knew he wasn't home, but he'd be there one day. And that's the take home for us. Because if you know Jesus and you're a follower of Christ, you'll know that um, Jesus has gone to prepare a place in heaven for us. In Revelation 22, the words will be on the screen. It describes the heavenly city. It says, then the angel showed me a river 
with the water of life, clear as crystal, and it's flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb. Just this picture of this life-giving, abundant waters coming from the Lamb, which is Jesus. And I said it flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. Right, so just this, the, the abundance, every single month, new crops of fruit coming. And then it says this, in the tree of life, the leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. Isn't that amazing? Don't our nations need healing right now? And the leaves of the tree of life were used for medicine to heal the nations. It says, no longer will there be a curse upon anything. For the throne of God and the Lamb will be there. We'll be with Jesus in that heavenly city. And his servants will worship him. Yes, we will. And they will see his face and his name will be written on their foreheads. And there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun. For the Lord God will shine on them and they will reign forever and ever. And it closes this way. Then the angel said to me, everything you have heard and seen is trustworthy and true. The Lord God who inspires his prophets has sent his angel to tell his servants what will happen soon. Verse seven, look, I'm coming soon, Jesus said. Blessed are those who obey the words of prophecy in this book. He who is faithful, he who is the faithful witness to all these things says, yes, I am coming soon, Jesus says. And then it, it concludes uh, in verse 20 and 21. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. That's the beautiful vision that we have ahead. And if you put your saving faith in Jesus Christ, that will be your future. So no matter how things are right now, if things are tough or if things are amazing, the best is still yet to come. And that's what Joseph's faith uh, shows us. Okay. We're actually now, we're going to transition to communion. And, you know, if you have a high regard for Jesus and you're learning what it means to be a follower of Christ, we invite you to participate along with us. You know, we're actually going to begin by reading the words from the Apostles' Creed. And these have been passed down through, uh, through the generations of the church. So the words will be on the screen. I believe in God, and say it with me if, if, you, if you would like. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So, if you would, we'll take this cracker and we'll pray. Heavenly Father, with high regard, we just thank you for the sacrifice that you, that you laid, Jesus. We thank you, dear God, that this cracker that we're about to partake in, Lord, that it represents the broken body of Jesus Christ. So join me now in, in taking the cracker and eating it that symbolizes the broken body of Jesus. In the same way, we take this cup, and the cup is symbolic of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So we thank you, Father, that you shed blood for us. You actually went to the cross because you loved us so. 
and you want to give us a way, Lord, to come to that heavenly city. So we thank you that you're willing, Jesus, to go and fulfill God's purpose in your life to save all people. So dear God, with high regard, we just uh, take a drink of the cup that symbolizes the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Join me now. Lord, we do thank you for your life, for your death, for your resurrection. We thank you, dear God, that you can speak, Lord, that you tell us that the best life that we've ever lived is yet to come. So Lord, we thank you for Joseph, his faith. He realized that, dear God, and I pray for all my friends now that we will realize that. I pray for the one that doesn't yet know you, Lord, that will just go to call you as Lord and Savior, that we'll put our full trust in you, dear God and that we will be able to trust you no matter what our circumstances are, whether they are good or bad and whether they are changing, Lord, that we'll put a saving faith in you. So Jesus, thank you for the communion table. Thank you for everything that you did. Thank you for the life of Joseph that points us to better days ahead. We say all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.